The following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's just going to be, really, it's just going to be a very short sermon, which is fine. So I ask myself in reading this, what is the difference between a crisis of faith and a trial of faith? Asaf is clearly experiencing a trial of faith, and yet, even though the first half of the psalm seems despondent, despairing, even hopeless, in the second half of the psalm, he clearly moves to faithfulness. So he has not lost his faith. This is not a, a crisis of faith. This is not a deconstruction of faith. This is a trial of faith. And so what has Asaf done to maintain his faith? And what has God done to maintain Asaf's faith through this unknown trial? For many people cry aloud to God. But what is it about this psalm that makes these cries not a, not a grievance, not a dispute with God, not a rejection of God, not disgust with God, but instead a cry out to God, a, a worthwhile and right and acceptable complaint to God that results in a deepening of faith. Because we know from so many psalms and other places in Scripture that it's not wrong to bring our complaints to the Lord. Even with great emotion and strong words, we understand that even though God is sovereign over all things and He knows all, we do not. And so in, in our hearts and in our minds, it's very natural to question, to wonder, to, to maybe even challenge. We don't understand, and that lack of understanding can cause anger and sadness and distance from God and doubts. None of these things are unacceptable to the Lord. And we know from the end of the psalm that this one ends in trusting God. And so there is a way to express these emotions and these reactions that results in faithfulness and trust and a connection to God and not a separation from Him. So in the beginning of the psalm, it appears that Asaph has been crying out to God and yet God has not acted or maybe not even listened. He wants to know where, where God is. Why, God, do you seem silent? And we don't know exactly what the occasion is for this psalm. Um, and there are even some interpreters that would suggest that uh, maybe Asaph was the author, but this was meant to be a sort of a, a corporate appeal to God written uh, during the time of exile. So it could have been even the, whole, even the whole people of Israel saying, God, where are you while we have been exiled to, to Babylon or to Assyria? Um, we, we don't know a lot of historical details, but in many ways it doesn't, it doesn't matter because we all experience these sufferings and trials of various kinds. And so even though we may not have the exact same situation as the psalmist, we experience so many of the same emotions and the same reactions that there is still much to be learned. Um, so as, as I was reading through this, um, just in, in preparation, what came to mind to me is just a, a great deal of talk about deconstruction lately. That's probably a word that you've heard. It's like trendy right now. There's like hashtags about it and things on you know, Twitter or whatever. Um, but, but you know, deconstruction is kind of a way that people are, are describing uh, either leaving the faith, usually Christianity, in, in particularly in this context, or, um, or so significantly reinterpreting it that it's, it's sort of a, a different experience entirely, right? Um, and so the reasons why people might deconstruct their faith vary, and you know, I have no data to back this up, but in my experience, my perception, uh, and hopefully yours as well, it seems to me that there are like several common reasons why people deconstruct their faith. And of those, there, there's one that's overwhelmingly the most common. I think that some people have intellectual barriers to their faith, um, but 
I, I tend to find that in those kinds of situations, just a, a very little bit of conversation kind of reveals that those, those intellectual barriers are underpinned by kind of moral barriers like indignation, you know, a, a, a fundamental disagreement with God, right? Not necessarily about whatever, the age of the earth or, or uh, you know, um, sin nature or something like that, but, but rather like I, I kind of disagree with God's take on this is what, what it often boils down to. Um, Another very common situation is uh, if someone is hurt, someone is hurt by their parents or other Christians or their church, and they say, like, okay, well, if, if God and this person that hurt me are both on this side, I'm, I must be on this side. And again, that, that tends to be, um, you know, with, without invalidating that experience at all, those do tend to also be kind of moral disagreements with God. Like, how could you let this happen, God, right? And then on similar lines as that, there is the deconstruction that comes from suffering, either from just the observation of evil in the world or from suffering that is experienced by an individual. There, there is the response of, God, how could you let this happen? And that question itself is really very similar to what we see in the psalm. That's not, that's not why people leave their faith. It can't be because many psalms ask God why he let things happen. So the mere questioning of God, why did you let this happen? Or God, why did you make what is good and righteous this way instead of that way, or God, why, why did you seemingly treat this person or this group of people this way? These questions are not the problem, or that not the cause of deconstruction. Uh, they're the beginning. So what's then the difference between asking the question, God, why, or God, how could you, or God, where are you, and having that turn into a crisis of faith that causes you to leave and reject God versus a trial of faith that refines and strengthens you? So we're going to look into the psalm to try to understand what the difference is between these two different kind of postures that you start with and then therefore the two different outcomes when these, these sufferings, these trials, these challenges, these questions do inevitably come. So how can we rightly bring our complaint to God and then remain steadfast as we work our way through it? So let's consider the example the psalmist gives. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. So even at the very beginning, as he's about to ask this litany of tough questions of God, he says, God will hear me. The psalmist knows in faith that God will hear his weakness of faith. And so that seems self-contradictory, right? Because I'm now going to tell you to pray from a posture of faith when you experience a crisis of faith, right? So, you know, what, what do I do if I don't have faith in God? Like, well, have, have more faith isn't really a satisfying answer. Um, and but, so what I mean by this and what I think that the psalmist exemplifies is that praying from a context of faith is deeply dependent on where, from where you start. You don't go into a crisis of faith and then try to have more faith. We're, we're so deeply dependent on, on where we enter our suffering. It's so vital to have in place already these, these safe boundaries, these faithful roots and support structures so that when the trials come, you have something to fall back on. And so this is, I mean, this is part of why we're preaching the Psalms and why we do so regularly, right? Um, there's a, like a saying in, like, in the military, which is that when, uh, you know, when it hits the fan, you, nobody ever steps up to the plate. They fall back to their lowest level of training. Okay, and so what that means is that like when you're when somebody's shooting at you and your gun jams, you're you're not gonna make sense of it in the moment. Your adrenaline's gonna kick in, and your adrenaline doesn't make you smart; it makes you dumb. And so that's why a million times during boot camp, you you unjam it, you take it apart, you put it back together. They wake you up in the middle of the night, and someone's screaming at you and flashing lights at you, and you have to unjam it and take it apart and put it back together because when it's really bad, 
you revert to your, your lowest level of training. Like, like we're, we're not heroes. Nobody really is. And so, you know, God is always listening, even, even when he doesn't seem to answer. And so when we call out to God in our, in our moment of distress and he doesn't seem to answer, what do you fall back to? What's your, what's your foundation? What's your baseline? And so what does this support system then entail? And so we can see, um, you know, throughout Scripture and, and in some places in this psalm, but I think a, f- a few key pieces that, that such, a, uh, such a, a faithful boundary would encompass would be um, a knowledge of Scripture, right? The, the psalmist goes back and he says, I will remember your deeds, I, I meditate on your words. And so we know that going back to Scripture, returning to Scripture, having it in your heart, having it come to mind, singing Scripture, singing is such a great tool for memorization, the, the words stay with you. So having Scripture just deeply within you so that it comes back to you when your mind and your heart and your soul are not working at full capacity is so important. Similar to that, it's vital to have a robust doctrine of how Scripture fits together. Right? Because when you take uh, you know, a verse or a phrase or a sentence and you take it out of context, you end up oftentimes in really unpleasant places. That's where like, the prosperity gospel gets into so much trouble because you read something like, uh, the Lord will provide, the Lord will bless you, the Lord will give you, you know, cattle on a thousand hills, and you look at your life and you say, my life doesn't look like this. And so you can end up with a crisis of faith because you have these these sort of verses maybe or these things that your you know your pastor or your you know your TV preacher or whoever has said and they're kicking around in your mind and it doesn't add up with what's in your life and so because you don't know how all of these things fit together properly in a <clears throat> in a holistic sense um, that even even the literal words of scripture could potentially lead you astray if you don't have understanding of them that's why it's important not to not to merely read but to understand and that's also why we try to preach through long portions of the bible here at foundation so that we have you know big picture and context and connections between different parts of the bible that's why it's important to to study and understand like your basic theological topics so that you have a framework to fit these things into all of these all of these things are are things that you could be doing you know outside of these trials to prepare yourself for when they inevitably come um, another part of a support structure, thank you, John, <clears throat> is a family of faith. And, and this can be your actual family. I, I'm incredibly blessed to have believing parents who are, are godly and wise and believing grandparents who are godly and wise. And so that, that's, it's an incredible blessing to have that. But you, know, I, I don't, you can't choose that. And so understanding that not everyone has that to, to pick from and to go to. You know, your, your friends that you choose to associate with and your church that you have committed to be a member of are also part of your family of faith. You know, when the trials and the sufferings come, the people that you surround yourself with are, are going to affect you. Because again, you're not, you're not your whole self. You're not all put together in these times. And so you're, you're easily swayed, you're bounced around. It, you have a tendency to kind of agree with whatever the last person who talked to you said. And so by surrounding yourself with people who are faithful and who are encouraging, who are godly, and who have you know, the deep knowledge of scripture and the robust framework of doctrine, you are protecting yourself from, from when you're weak during these times. And then lastly, I would just draw your attention to the idea of a tradition of faith. Uh, and so I want to be a little careful here um, because like for example, as opposed to like Catholicism where the tradition of the church is authoritative like scripture is, uh, we, we do not believe that. We believe that Scripture is the, the only authority and can overturn any tradition that, that needs to. But, you know, places in the Bible, like Proverbs 22, it says, do not move the landmarks your father set. Uh, and so we, we kind of have this tendency, it's a very um, 
the, the, the spirit of the age very much wants to deconstruct, to challenge, to question everything. Why, you know, why do we do things that way? You know, they didn't know any better back then. Um, and we have to be really careful when we turn that kind of critical eye on our tradition of faith because God has always been the same. And we also believe from Scripture that fundamentally in our nature, human beings have also, ever since the fall, always been the same. And so so many things change, and we have problems that people 100 years ago could never have dreamed of, and the economic circumstances this year are different than they were 10 years ago, and just, there's so many different variables, but there are some things that aren't variable. And so the, these traditions of faith can be extremely valuable to us because some of the problems that we have dealt with the circumstances are different, but the problems of the heart that we deal with are all known. No one, no one has ever felt a feeling that no one's ever felt before. And so Christians and our, our, our fathers and mothers and ancestors and believers in all ages, they understand our suffering and have learned and grown and written and prayed for us. And so we have to be very careful not to reject those things um, just out of, a, out of a, a dismissal for tradition. And so a deep knowledge of scripture, a robust doctrine, a family of faith, and a tradition of faith are fences, bulwarks that you can build ahead of time so that when the trials of faith come, you have these things to fall back on. So you're not relying on your strength in the moment, your willpower, your ability to piece things together when it's really chaotic, but you can always fall back and rest on these reliable things. And so faith such as this, it, it does not lessen the sting of suffering. You know, please don't think that I'm promising <clears throat> any less pain when the trials come. Uh, but, but this faith is, it is a wall. And it's, it's not, we think of a wall as a way to keep an enemy out. And that is certainly true. But a wall is also a way to keep you in. When, when you just are poured out, the wall holds you in. And so this servant of God on a firm foundation, when trials come, what then does he do? And from the, from the Psalm 77, we see that he commits his entire self to his prayers to God. My hand is stretched out. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. He, he, is, he is physically committing himself to this act of prayer. There, there's an intensity and a seriousness there. And because he has these faithful boundaries, he doesn't feel the need to hold anything back. The psalmist gives over his entire self. Because he has the boundaries of trust, the fences, the faithful structures already in place. <clears throat> and so now that he cries out to God, he even himself says, he doesn't hear a response. He's, he's leaving it all out there and he's saying, God, please, I'm begging you, speak to me. And, and he hears nothing. And so he searches diligently, as it says in verse 6. And so where does he search? He appeals to the years of God's right hand. He appeals to God's deeds to his people. He turns to God's word. See, we, we so lightly dismiss the very words of God that he's given to us, even as our souls cry out. I mean, how, how common is it to hear someone say, I haven't heard from God. I don't hear God. I don't feel God speaking to me. God is speaking to you. He has spoken to you in the Bible. The very words of God is everything that we need. His scriptures are sufficient for all of our needs and all of our yearnings and all of our questions. God is, is never silent because he has already completely given us a revelation. And so, you know, if you're questioning God now, if you're praying and there's no answer, then hear this. You 
are about to hear the audible words of God speaking to you right now. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. These are the words of our God, his very speech to us. And so Asaph knows this to be true because of his foundation of faith now in spite of his trials and even in spite of the apparent lack of answer, he knows that he has received an answer. He can return to the word. And when he turns there, when he searches God's revelation, what does he find? He finds endless accounts of God's greatness and his holiness and his faithfulness and his goodness to his people and his deeds among the nations. And so even when God seems silent, we know that he provides. And even when God seems inactive, there is still a source of peace that comes from the knowledge of his deeds and of his character. It's, it's kind of like, since this is Father's Day, my, my mind was drawn to, um, you know, when you're a kid and you are doing something that you know is wrong. Your parents have told you not to say a certain word or eat a certain candy or do a certain thing, and you get that feeling that they're there. You are disappointing them somehow. Your father cannot see you. He doesn't know what you're doing, but you know. And because you know his character, because you know the rules he has established, because you know his law, it is as if he is present with you. And that's a negative example, but it, it goes to show God's character and understanding of God's character is in many ways his very presence with you. And so the more that you understand his character, the more that you will feel him there with you. We know that he's always there. And so when we don't feel him there with us, it is something with us and not something with him. But we can, we can cultivate the sense, the experience of God's nearness to us by increasing our knowledge of him. The better you know him, the more you know what he likes and what he doesn't like and what he wants and what he wants for you. The more you know him, the more you will feel his presence. And so as we search God's many deeds, what do we find is true of him? In verse 13, we see that he is holy and his way is holy. Again, in verse 13, he is great like no other. Verse 14, he is all-powerful, omnipotent. In verse 15, we find that he has redeemed his people. God has redeemed through the blood of Jesus. If you have faith in him, you and your fathers and their fathers and your children. And this is why it is so important that salvation is an act of God and not an act of man, right? This prayer to God, if it were a microcosm of salvation, blessedly, God's deeds are not dependent on Asaph remembering them because at the beginning, he does not. He questions, where are you, God? Why aren't you listening to me, God? But because it's not dependent on him, the psalmist is not dependent on the psalmist. It is dependent on God. His redemption remains true. And so instead of achieving redemption, the psalmist instead discovers it. He remembers it. He does not strive to be redeemed by God, but he remembers that God has redeemed his people. And so we can then stand back because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We, we have even more assurance than the psalmist would have at the time. We can stand back and look at a completed work. It is finished. 
the, the final product is done. And we can stand back and look upon it and remember, we wait for nothing. God has spoken and given of himself to us. So let me then offer a final encouragement or perhaps an exhortation, depending on where you are. The people of God will suffer. All people will suffer, but the people of God will suffer. And to set on a firm foundation of faith, when we suffer, we cry out. And sometimes God will seem silent. And in that silence, we can turn to his word to recount his deeds and take comfort from his character, even in his seeming absence. But let us not so quickly dismiss the ordinary means of grace. Listen to the last few verses. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God's footprints were unseen. And his people were led, seemingly, by Moses and Aaron, mere men. See, God has given us ordinary means of grace to teach us and reveal his character to us and to comfort us. He gives us his word. He gives us our families and friends and churches and pastors. He gives us baptism and communion, which are ways that we say, we as a church believe that you are part of God's people and you to us. He gives us common grace, the thunder and lightning. The natural wonder of the earth speaks of his greatness and his might and his character and his ever presence. The beauty of nature all around you, no matter how big or small of scale you look, reveals God is not silent. He has not left you. He has not forgotten his people. And more than anything else, God gives us Jesus. He used a very human man his son, to save all of us very human men. So do not discount these secondary means of God. God's audible voice is not the only thing that can comfort you. God's very word is not the only thing that can comfort you. God speaks to you through many ways. His word, first and foremost, everything to be compared against it as our final source. But God ministers to you through his ministers, his people. He answers you through the history of his church and of Israel and of all of creation. And he saves you through his simple human son dying an ignominious death that is yet all of our comfort and our salvation. So then do not fear trials. If you are not amidst a trial today, take your time to build your fences and your walls ingest the word, dwell on it, pray to God, ask him to give you a desire to know him and his character. Draw deeper connections with the people of God, with your family and your friends and your church. Commit to be a member at a church, someone who can hold you accountable, but also to care for you in those times of distress and assure you that it is not dependent on whether or not you feel like God is there, but in fact you have a body of believers who agree God is with you, even when it doesn't feel like it. If you are in the throes of suffering right now, we're here for you. If you feel like you have not prepared those good fences, those good walls, it is not too late 
The Lord is always there to stretch out his hand. Cry out to him. And please talk to one of us. Talk to one of the pastors here or one of the members here. We will pray for you. We will care for you. We want to bring you inside of those good fences and those good walls of safety and comfort. Do not let a trial of faith become a crisis. Let's pray to God and ask him to comfort us with all of his many means, even when he seems silent. God, we know that you are always there. When you seem silent or distant, when we do not like the answer that you give, we know in our minds that that is a problem with us and our hearts and our sin and not you. But we feel far from you and afraid and angry and confused. And God, you understand that. You know our weakness, which is why you have given us so many, many means of grace. You have given us your word, your teachings, your doctrines, your deeds, your histories, the many great things you have done in view of your people and before all the nations. Father, you have given us a people of God of whom we can be a part, who can assure us that you are there and you are faithful, even when we are tossed to and fro. God, you have given us the beauty of creation to remind us of you every day and let us wonder at your majesty and remember that you are always there every time and every place in the biggest and smallest sense. Father, if anyone in this room is suffering in the midst of trial today, if they're questioning you, if they're challenging you, if they're angry with you, if they don't know if you are there, please reach out to them through one of your many means of grace. Let something prick their heart. Give them something to hold on to. And please keep us all safely enclosed in your walls, within your fences, by your faithfulness. Because it is only by your faithfulness that we remain true. Our faithfulness would never do it. Thank you for being always with us. Thank you for your son who has saved us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.